Welcome to the Level Up Lifestyle Podcast from Globe Life Liberty National, where your story meets your success for the lifestyle you've always wanted. We're so glad you're here. We've invited our top performers to share their story and journey to success. So let's check out today's conversation. Mike sits down with regional agency director, Matt Keller. Matt shares everything from his lowest point living in Section 8 housing. We're still in Section 8 housing. And nearly winding up in jail. If you've ever actually sat in a jail cell, like it's not, you fully realize that this is not where I belong. So how he overcame his struggles to become a Lambo driving top performing agent. So Lambo or McLaren, which one's the, the favorite? All of this coming up next on the Level Up Lifestyle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Level Up Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sheets. And with me today, I have a very special guest, Matt Keller. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you, man. Blessed to be here, buddy. Yeah. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Doing very, very good. Good, good. It's uh it's it's great to be here, you know, Matt. Uh, on the uh, to have you here, the um, kind of the idea here on Level Up is to talk about your journey, right? Where you came from, and uh, your very very successful in what you do now with Globe Life Liberty National Division in your role. You're a regional agency director. You're also an agency director. Um, you're uh, again just very successful. Um, win a ton of awards. You know, you've got a, a, a great agency, a great lifestyle that you built for yourself, but it wasn't always that way. Right. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna just unpack that journey. And I think a lot of the people that are listening or watching this, you know, might find maybe some parallels to you know, they may be in spots in their journey today where you were five years ago or or, or ten years ago or more. And mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're going to find that relation and say, okay, well, you know, Matt went through that and here's where he is now. Maybe there's some, maybe there's a path out of where I am and, yeah. you know, and kind of getting to where you need to be. Right. And I think, I think that's great, you know, to be able to share that. So. I agree, man. You know, it's, it's honestly, it's humbling that even to be in a room like this and for you to even introduce me like that. Cause walking into the building, like I saw where I went to the academy. Yeah. And I remember the one on one and uh, specifically because I forgot to wear a suit right? Um, because I only owned one. Yeah. And I'll never forget, um, there was a director at the time and he was like, why are you wearing a polo shirt to this? <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's really crazy, man, to come full circle um, for as long as it's been to be in this room and just talk, honestly. It's just, it's a really crazy blessing, man, to think about it. So so you went from owning one suit to how many how many suits do you I, have now? I could not tell you that. Can you even that, count? Honestly. <laughs> right. Custom. I'm assuming you've got a tailor that does I, all that for I you. I have and, some. Yeah. I just try to not take up more of the closet than my, my wife does. So you that's, try. that's my goal. That's your goal. <laughs> so it means we're working towards that. Maybe we're not there, right? So, <laughs> well, well, tell me what it was like just, you know, in the very beginning, where'd you grow up? What was your, uh, what was your upbringing like? So I grew up in a small town in Missouri, Ozark, specifically okay. where it's at. Um, I had a pretty, I mean, it was a, it was a normal upbringing for the most part. Um, me and my parents were really, really awesome. Took me to church every Sunday, you know, did the go out to eat thing, mm-hmm. had the school, had an older brother that was six years ahead of me. Um, and I feel like things were, they were pretty normal. There is a certain point um, that you get to in an age and I feel like you start to realize like if you have things or if you don't. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was junior high or high school because really social life becomes a really big part right. in your life, right? Friends right. start to become a big, big influence. And when you start realizing what they have and then maybe what 
you don't have, I think that's where it starts shining a light. And I think that's for every kid. You just realize that either mom and dad have it or mom and dad don't. Yeah. And uh, I think that's where, I don't know, maybe my brain started spinning of why do they have certain things? Why do we not? How do I get those certain things? And mom and dad, like I said, dude, they they provided everything that they needed to. Um, but they chose one as, as a labor route. Um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So what'd, you, what'd your dad do? He was uh, he did irrigation, so it was okay. a labor, just hard okay. labor. He worked really hard yeah. every day. Um, came home dirty, you know. Yeah. So to me, the work ethic was ingrained from day one because I seen him come home and he would leave early in the morning, um, and he would come home after dark, and he was so exhausted that he would get his dinner, get his and glass of milk bed. with a TV tray, yeah. yup, eat, and he'd go right to bed, and he would he would do it again. And is I it, was that, that was that kind of seasonal though? I mean, it, it, in Missouri, it seems like is there a part is it part of the year where maybe things were more of a struggle, or you know, was everything evened for him? Yeah, he did snow removal um, okay. in the wintertime. so he was like, he's just a he's always moving, he's just always moving, man. Um, never stops. Even today, I mean, he's in his sixties and still still does labor. Yeah, um, could probably outwork um, you know four employees that he has working for him. He's just never stopped moving. So that I watched that. And that was really cool to yeah. be able to see that. Um, but there was also another side of it too, where I'm like, okay, obviously working hard is important, you know, but we were still struggling at times, yeah. you know, as, as kids. And specifically, I wore a lot of my brother's clothes. And that's some things that I really start to remember because, you know, they tried to provide when they could, mm-hmm. right? They did what they had to do. But when I had to start wearing my brother's clothes, you know, because he always had the nicer clothes and it was always a fight, just like any brothers right. or sisters, right? Dealing with that type of I mean, six thing. years fashion has changed <laughs> a little bit too, right? You know, <laughs> jeans don't quite look the same today <laughs> as they did six years ago and all you, that. You right? try to make it work. Yeah. Um, but I remember those times specifically, man. Um, but just starting to notice those type of things was, I think that's where the track started playing in my head slowly of what started to become developed over time. So maybe that's something that's motivating you in the future. hundred percent, right? yeah. especially now. Yeah. Um, Cause that, that's my kids, man. My right. kids see me and I think kids are probably the greatest accountability partners that you could ever have. You know, I heard yeah. somebody say once, like eventually your kids find out who you really are. And it's a sobering thought because like your kids, when they're young, you're their hero. Yeah. All the time, like no matter what. But there is a point where they start to realize again, whether they have things, whether they don't. And that's either because mom and dad made a good decision or they didn't. I mean, it's just, to me, that stuff starts to get spotlighted if you're not careful, especially if you have kids. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you're coming through school, middle America, basically, yeah. right? You know, middle income, middle class. Um, you know, sometimes are good, sometimes are struggle. What was that coming out of high school, I guess? What, what, what were your plans? Were you... Did you have a career path in mind where you just kind of let's see where this goes or oh, what's what's life looking like for for Matt Keller at this time? High school, man. I had uh I had no direction, no plan, no cares. Yeah. Um that was my wild season. I just had uh you know, it, really I wasn't worried about anything. Um and I almost missed that to an extent because <laughs> I had no stress. I just really didn't care. Yeah. Um what's funny is what a lot of people probably don't know, but I I had a skateboarding career. Okay. High school. Um, to a where career. I d- developed a couple sponsorships. Really? And I was getting paid to do it. And uh, I was like, dude, this is this so where, could be where, something for me. Where are you skating when it's so you're in Ozark still, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like 
Vans gives you some money to go down to the local <laughs> skate park or, you know, what does that look like? It was right? started at the local skate park and then I ended up getting a, a company that provided my skateboards for me. Okay. Um, and then Osiris Shoes was one yeah. that I got on flow for. Yeah. And then there was a clothing brand. So we started end up going to demos is what they called them. Okay. They were to like churches and like different youth gatherings and conventions and they would end up paying us to come out and skate more of like as like an entertainment in front of yeah some kids dude, and just, like, let's, it, you know. really they wanted to wait for us to crash and burn yeah, i mean that's really right. what they wanted to see um, it's like why you go to a nascar race right you know right. you're going there to see the wrecks <laughs> the entertainment of it but that i mean that was like uh to me that was the only thing i think i had direction in and to me, it was it was still entrepreneurial because like you were your own coach, yeah. you know, you, you had your own practice. You did it when you wanted to do it and you were really in control of everything that you possibly did. So, so what got you into skating? Just something to do was, you know, kind of the culture, I guess, at this time anyway. I think it was an outlet. Yeah. I think it was something for me to wake up to. And, and I think it was a sense of purpose, like a sense of security for me in the yeah. very beginning. Um, unfortunately, you know, that that started to have a downturn. I got this, the skating world was a dark world. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's full of drugs and alcohol and it's very easy to get caught up in it. And that was the web that I got caught up in. And I ended up, I ended up ruining my opportunity, um, with some companies because of that. Like I just yeah. started down some drug paths, um, started down some booth paths really early and ended up, man, ruining like an opportunity for me that, wow. I mean, I still regret cause I'm like, man, that's that, <laughs> That could have been something could have down been the road. You, it could have been Matt focused. Keller instead of Tony Hawk, right? You know, right? Just <laughs> <laughs> that that was um that was probably freshman, sophomore year, and that's when junior senior year became just full blown party face. Um, just really acting a fool, man. Yeah. Just no direction. And unfortunately the security, I think, of what skating was for me in high school ended up being partying. And that's where like that was my focus is what party was I going to go to? What was I going to drink this weekend? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was the only thing that I truly cared about at that time. I ended up getting myself in some really bad spots. Obviously, that stuff doesn't lead to anything. Right. Um, it's emptiness is what it ends up being. Uh, got myself arrested a few times too as well. Um, the third time that I got arrested... I'll never forget it because I was just because like partying and that's just you know. party man had some hit and runs had some paraphernalia charges I got arrested two miles from my high school um, which wow. that was really terrible too because it's a small town yeah so like they had me on the hood handcuffed so it's like everybody and their grandmother saw it so like that's what I was now known for I was creating a really bad reputation for myself in the yeah. town and the third time. I remember sitting in the back of the cop car and my dad pulling up. And obviously, you don't ever want to disappoint your parents, right. like, no matter what. You know, like as a, as a kid, even when you're in, at that age, like you don't want to disappoint your parents. And I remember him just looking at me and it was like just a look of disappointment. You know, like it was just like a, it was such an emotional time yeah. because like you knew that like you, you were doing everything wrong. You know, they didn't raise you to be like this. And, you know, I think he's working long hours, yeah. laboring trying yeah. to provide for his family and you know now you have kids you can relate to that right now here you are working and then your yeah. your child's making those choices so but so at that moment you were kind of realizing this a little bit when you saw your dad i think it was like it, it was just one of those checkpoints it was one of those impact points because I, yeah. I feel like i had a lot of negative impacts throughout my life that just slowly started shifting me to go to go towards a, a more positive direction that was definitely one of them because that's what i was thinking about i was like you know obviously he felt bad because he felt like he wasn't dadding right. Yeah. But it, it wasn't him. You know, like it it was, you're was making, me. Yeah, you're making it, the choices. It, it was just, man, it was just a really, you know, it was a hard time. And I think he 
he let me <laughs> go to jail, you know, and sit there and think about my actions, um, which was super eerie. You know, if you've ever actually sat in a, in a, you know, a jail cell, like it's not, you fully realize that this is not where I belong. Yeah. Um, it's a very scary place. And, uh, it really woke me up to, I'm like, man, if I don't get my act together, like I'm going to land here and I need to wake up and I need to start doing something. Um, so I think those were some big shifting points for me, man, in high school, for sure. So you, you come out of school and, and maybe a little bit different of a mindset shift. It, w- what happens next? Um, God sent me an angel and her name is Tess. Uh, <laughs> my wife, um, for some reason, wanted to date me right at the end of high school. You guys and went to school together? We went to school together. She was already graduated. Oddly enough, we met when I was in the principal's office. She was coming to pick up some things to finish, mm-hmm. you know, some stuff. Get her at diploma the and, you know, and great here, job. Here and, I uh, am <laughs> in, the, in the chair waiting to meet with the principal. Um, that was the start of it. And then we ended up being in the same college class together, okay. freshman year. Uh, and that was where just really the, the conversation started for her and I. So she was one where it created some structure for me. She had her head on straight. Like she had a job and she had a place where she was living. I mean, she's been working since she was 15. Yeah. So she had her act together. So me meeting her started to create some, some more systematic structure in my life, which is what I needed at that time. Good. So, so then you guys are together. Eventually you get married through a process, start a family and then kind of how that all, how that works out. Like, what was that? What was that period of time like for you? Well, what happened, you know, even a little bit before that, she she was the one that got me into college. She was essentially the one that got me into liberty. Like right. she created really like the this the whole starting points for a lot of things. I mean, in, in college was like we I did college because I did nursing school. Like okay. That was that was my approach because she had set my classes up for me and had pencils in my backpack, like a lunch, like she was like momming me. And I woke up one morning and she's like, and I was like, what is this? She's like, you're going, you're going to college. And I was like, no, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. And I think she was just trying to get me to move in the right direction. So that, you know, that's where nursing, you know, science, I think the point of helping people started to be something that I really wanted to start doing. Um, Obviously, college was something that you, I don't want to say you try, but I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. I'll see what it's like. Um, Slowly realizing I'm like, maybe college is not going to end up being for me, but I did, man. I I went for, I think it was two years, two or three years um, before realizing that I'm like, college is not, it's just, it just didn't make sense for me. Yeah. So where you guys are living together, where are you living at this time? We were living in Springfield. It's about 10 minutes from Ozark. Okay. So still in the area. I mean, are you, are you succeeding? Are you struggling? Is it, you know, what I know at one point you were in government housing, right? So how did you, how did you guys end up in that position and get to that state? Yeah. So that, that was in the transition from leaving college and really just quitting. Um, the reason I quit college was because, I mean, like, I'm not like an accountant, but all mm-hmm. I did was realize, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be in X amount of debt to make X amount of dollars. Right. I'm like, this just doesn't, this doesn't make sense. So once we transitioned from college, I had then finally got a salary position. And that salary position didn't pay a whole lot. And she was working. What are you doing at this time? I was actually working at a gym. Um, 
So it was just, it was customer service. It was just one of those things where I was like, I just need something. Yeah. So it's one of those, again, when you get a salary, you feel like it's, you feel like it's comfortable until once again, you just simply just start calculating how much money you're, you're really making per hour for the year. And it just, it didn't make a lot of sense, but that is when we transitioned. We realized that we were so broke from the beginning of college. Um, and just really trying to adult, like that stage is like you're learning how to adult. You're, yeah. you're trying to figure life out. And I end up having um, a notice from her and she said, hey, like we're going to have our first kid. And that was super difficult because I still feel so terrible about that time because it wasn't like your Hallmark movie. Right. You know, like you see people celebrate and they're like, you know, they throw a big party and they're just all excited. Um, I was not excited, man. Like I was actually like super upset. And really it's because I still wasn't, I still wasn't living life the right way. Like I was still, still trying to go out and party. I was still trying to do all those things. A lot of those old things from high school and the skater days hadn't quite left you yet. Or did they come back because you thought you had a path with what you're doing in college and that didn't work out? I still think it was a sense of being lost. Yeah. I think it was like a security blanket that was unhealthy that I had to pull. Like I, I needed to get it out from under me. And I feel so bad, man, because I remember when she told me, she's like, we're going to be having, you know, a little girl. It was just, it was not good. Her and I were not doing good at that time either. Even though we were living together, it was extremely difficult. We even lived with her mom for a little bit before we like actually mm-hmm. moved to an apartment together just because of how broke we were. Um, and that is when we had to realize like we had to apply for uh, Section A housing. And for people that don't understand what that is, like generally it has to be 50% below AMI, which is average, average median income. Okay, That's how you have to apply. And applying for that already, like getting in line to apply for Section A housing. You gotta go do it in person. You gotta and, do it in person yeah. and you gotta do it together. And it, it's so ego biting. I mean, it is, it's a revelation. Maybe not every not everybody looks at it like that, but I did because it was the same way too. Because then we had to go get on WIC and food mm. stamps to get vouchers, and it's not to to condescend anybody that has to do that because there is people that really need that. But I just felt so out of place. Like I was standing in line. You know, you just look around at the people there, and I'm like, I just don't. I don't belong in this line. Like I don't. I don't feel like I should be here, but I'm here. And I have to be here because why, we had no money. Why did you feel that you had to be at that point? Was it just a culmination of decisions that you made to here? Or how, what are you feeling at this time? Regret. A lot of regret. Frustration. Regret about what? The bad decisions that I've made. The choices that led to the consequences of where I was at. Yeah. It was just super. It, as a man, it was demeaning. Sure. Because I, I'm supposed to take care of my family. And yeah. now I'm standing in line applying for food stamps because now we have to live in a place where we don't really want to live. Uh, I remember the rent specifically was $450 a month, which is insane if you think about yeah, that now. Right. And we still struggled. How uh, big is the apartment? Is it an apartment or a, a... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was an apartment. We we started off in a two-bedroom. Um, I think that one was 350 And then about a year after, we moved to the three-bedroom because during that time, we had to raise a portion of Presley's time um, in that apartment. And then my little man came about shortly after that too, as well. So kids were, kids were back to back, man. So it was like, it was pure turmoil, like just at the absolute lowest we could be in the lowest place we could be. And now I'm bringing not one, but two kids into this world. 
and I'm just like, I'm sitting on my hands, you know, we're barely making ends meet. And it's just super difficult because our family was there to help, but they understood too, like we, we put ourselves here. Yeah. And it was some pride of mine too, because I realized that I'm like, I've, I've done this to us. Like we're here because of my poor decisions. And sadly enough, dude, like I still, there were still moments where I went out, even being in that spot. And I remember talking to you offset specifically about Tess sitting in front of bars mm. while she was pregnant, waiting to pick me up. And it's, it's emotional for me. And that is why I put my wife where she is today. That is why I spoil her like I do because she, she stuck beside me the whole time, man. Like you, yeah. you really have to have somebody that sticks beside you like that. That's why I have so much respect for her, man. Cause she, sure. she's been with me at the lowest of lows when she could have just said, dude, I'm out of here. Very easy. Like, <laughs> she would have every justification, right? Wouldn't you even know? have been mad at her. Right. I mean, yeah. I can't believe she stuck around. But it was a dark place for us, man. Just a combination of bad choices. You know, you land yourself in those spots and you just have to own it. And that's what I had to do. I had to own where we were at. And eventually I had to figure out a way to get us to get us out. So you made a comment earlier where you said, you know, you found out that you're having your daughter and you weren't excited. It was it was the opposite of how most people are. It, is that feeling because of the position that you knew you were in that I, I I'm not in a position to start having kids or is it maybe you weren't sure that was the direction you wanted to go in your own life or you just kind of out in the wilderness lost like what what was the driving force behind that i don't think anybody's ready to be a parent sure right from the get-go but i think for me i i knew financially i'm like i can't even take care of myself how am i going to take care of a kid yeah like i couldn't even take care of me so let alone now i'm bringing another body into this world that i'm going to have to feed and they're yeah. going to look at me and I'm, I'm me. And I didn't want to disappoint that. Um, I didn't even tell my family for a little while too. Cause I was just so, just so nervous, so scared. I mean, all the emotions, man, like you name it, nothing, nothing positive at that moment. It was just yeah. really, really scary, but I was more scared that I wasn't going to be able to support her and bring her into this world properly. And she was going to be raised in government housing. That was yeah. my biggest fear Yeah, was that. So this is a defining moment in your life. Right. It, it, did, did something, did you, was it kind of like an all of a sudden realization, I need to change? And you went out and started looking for other things. Was it a kind of a slow process? And are you, you know, we talked about how, you know, Tess was waiting for you while, you know, she's pregnant. So, you know, it's an evolution to get there or what, what, what changed? What started to change? My work ethic started to change with the current company that I was at. It was a sales position, but it was, a salaried sales position. So everything you did was just, you made the same amount of money as everybody yeah. else. And you're selling gym memberships, right? I was, Yeah, I was. And I started to produce more than I was usually producing. And then there was a motive obviously there. I mean, I, I had a, a wake up call. And the wake up call was when I brought her home from the hospital and I'll never forget setting her in her bassinet in the mm -hmm. corner of the living room and just staring at her. And I'm like, this, this thing is mine. Just like, got real. <laughs> this is mine now. Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness. And that's what I think what really triggered work ethic to change to the point where I can't quote the exact amount, but it was it was around 60 to 70% of the production of that specific gym was created by me within that year. But you're not getting paid anymore. Is there a bonus? There's no commission. It's just kind of a salary. and There's a yearly bonus, but it wasn't it wasn't anything to really thrive for. Um, if anything, I mean, they, they did a good job of making it bragging rights. I mean, that's really mm -hmm. all it was. I mean, you were just, 
you're grinding your tail off for for just a two week paycheck right. every two weeks. And it was it got more frustrating to me because since my competitive nature started to get a little bit higher, I were ha- I was having issues with guys coming in like they were coming in late. They were taking 15, 30 minute bathroom breaks because they're, they're on salary. Yeah. yeah. They're going to get care. paid the same. It didn't matter to them. Yeah. You know, and I'm over here and I'm, I'm grinding, you know, I'm trying to take three, four people at a time and do a bunch of tours and like, I'm getting it done. Cause now I want to hit goals. I want to hit monthly goals. I want to hit yearly goals. And that's where I think like the, the competitiveness really started to settle in where I'm like, dude, people are, people don't work as hard as I do. Like if I really can get after it, like people don't they really don't want to work like they don't want it like I do. But unfortunately, like that's I was stuck in that salary hamster wheel. And it took me a minute to realize that. Yeah. But as I started to elevate my competition, that's where I started realizing stuff like that. I mean, at this moment, you're taking three people on a tour to sell a gym membership. Meanwhile, you have somebody that your coworkers taking a 30 minute bathroom break. And at the end of the week, you guys are going to get the same paycheck. It's, it, How'd that feel? It, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's really frustrating. And And, you know, like. Any, I think anybody has worked in a salary hourly position, you've realized that. Like when you need somebody and you can't find them or people are just kind of sitting around, like it's very frustrating. But that was an indicator to me that I had work ethic. But I slowly started to realize like this is this may not be the place for me. Like, Did you I, know that you had that work ethic before or was it at <laughs> this moment kind of life starts changing and you're like, hey, I got this other gear inside me I didn't know I had? I didn't know it before because I really had nothing to put it up against. I got to put it up against people now that weren't working as hard. Yeah. So it was more of a realization within that moment that I'm like, okay, like I can show up. I show up every day on time. I do my diligence. I'm actually starting to sell some things. I'm producing a lot. Uh, but once again, I was still getting the same the same pay. So I just I started thinking about like, man, what else? What else can I do? Is there other opportunities? And what's what's hard is in industries like that. Generally, you got to be careful because like if they find out you're looking. Fire you. Yeah. And we can't forget, I, I just had a kid. We're still living in Section housing. So, like, I can't lose my job because I still have bills to pay and we're still barely making it. Right. So, I, I was like in a really weird transition. I'm like, I don't really know where I want to go or what I want to do, but I knew that I, there's more to life than this specific place that I'm in. So, at some point, Tess starts working in a Liberty National agency, right? Working as an office admin staff. And make sure I'm getting this timeline correct. So then I think we're about to the point where you where now you're searching, right? I need more. You found this extra gear. How did you end up getting connected to Liberty? So Tess was a QM over okay. there. She's a quality manager. The she was a quality manager yep. over there. And she invited me in. We had to fill the room up. She said, hey. Why don't you come to the agency? So this is kind of a funny story. and, and oh, you know, I, so just going to skip over this part? No, no, no. <laughs> I, it, it felt like you were trying to skip over this part a little bit. But, oh, you know, um, it, it's because there's there's a lot of people that are they're listening or watching this. You know, I'm sure there's some people that aren't affiliated with the company and there's some people that are and then they see you and like who you are. But, you know, th- this was a different time in Liberty, yes, right? Was. There was, yes, it was. There's been a few episodes where we've talked about transitions in the company and how the company's grown and evolved to, you know, who we are today and where we're going. But this was kind of a period of time where there's a lot of new systems mm-hmm. that are coming out that for, listen, for everyone's benefit, it, right. when something brand new comes out and I'm in a 100% commission role, I'm going to be skeptical of it because you're asking me to change how I'm feeding my family, right? Yep. So I don't know if it was skepticism as much as we're going to ease our way into it. So 
you know, that that's kind of the framing of where we are now, right? Yeah. And the, I'll, I'll let you tell the story, but I mean, it was basically like, hey, we need somebody to come in and pretend <laughs> that they're interviewing almost. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if maybe the company was just starting to do the career leadership was, briefings. Yeah, we were just in that the CLB, point. so yeah. may, maybe that's why it was so new. But yeah. that's my wife, Tess, she told me, hey, Tim's got to fill the room full of bodies because a director's coming in and he's going to do a, a career leadership briefing and he would just like you in here. So I volunteered. I'm like, they just need a body. So I'll come be a body. And the conference room at that time, still, you remember? I remember it, a little step down, little <laughs> a little small, <laughs> the size of this, where we are right and now. This I was mean, the conference yeah, room. Right, fit, yeah. fit approximately <laughs> four people, five, if they were all skinny, right? Um, and I remember being in that career leadership briefing. So I just went, I had no idea what it was about. You're not there to interview. I mean, you didn't know. This is so, you know, I, I, we, we kind of talked about, do we even put this here in the podcast? Because <laughs> it's so opposite of what you would ever want anyone to do. But I mean, you're, you're not, you didn't go put your resume online. What's interesting though, is you were kind of lost in, I need more. You had that sense from, what you just talked about, your work ethic and getting paid the same as the person next to you and they're not working and you are. So, I mean, from a kind of personal standpoint, I think the timing was right. But did you have your resume online and you were looking around or you're just like, I'm going to grind it out of this gym and then figure something else out? I didn't. I didn't have my resume online at all. So, and that's what, you know, I think people have to be careful, like, because they may land in this position here yeah, as a complete accident. Yeah. But opportunities generally aren't planned. Right. Right. Like you have to look at everything. Like, is this an opportunity? Am I missing something if I don't look at this thoroughly? And that, because that's what this was. I mean, it was a completely unplanned, just me showing up to a CLB, a career leadership briefing where I was not planning on working for this company. I was just going there to fill a body yeah. because my wife asked me to, to fill a seat. Show up on your lunch break, that's, smile and nod yeah, and go back and sell some gym do, memberships. Wear something nice and then leave. Yeah. That was it. Don't talk to anybody. Don't, don't talk to anybody. <laughs> just get in and get out. And oddly enough, I I loved it. I literally, I listened to the whole thing and I'm like starting to get really into it. And I remember afterwards, I'm like, I, I think I could do this. And it was so funny because Tess, it's not that she didn't want me to do it, but she's like, this is not why I wanted you to show up. She's like, I just wanted you to fill a space. I'm like, I know, but this, this could be it. Like this could be, this could be my moment. This could be my break. So it's just, it's hilarious me. Cause it was not planned. Like it was, it was an act. I don't think I could even spell finance when yeah. I got into the room. I mean, truly like I, I didn't know anything about it, but that is how, that is how the initiation of my interview, like that's how it was. You know, it, what, what did, what did Tess say when you went to, I'm, so you left, you went back to work or whatever, and then you guys met up later that day or at <laughs> night. You know, what was that conversation like when you're like, hey, I think I could do this? I, I wish I could remember the dinner that we had because I know it was a lot of back and forth. It was all positive, but it was yeah. she was trying to be practical. Right. And she had every right to be because my track record wasn't fantastic. And she sees the work ethic of the people in the agency and what it takes. She and, she know. knew it's hard work. Man. Yeah. And so I don't I don't blame her to I mean, it, again, it's not that she didn't want me to do it, but she has seen everything that I have quit. Uh, right. And it was a lot of things. So, like I said, it wasn't a fantastic track record for her to have to say, oh, yeah, you would be fantastic. She's just like, are you sure this makes sense? Like we've we've got two kids that we just had. Uh, we're still in. How if old you are the look kids around, at this time? The kids are, I think Presley was one, 
And then Grayson was just born not too long after that because they're nine months couple, apart. Couple yeah, months. A couple yeah, months. Okay. Yeah. So she's like, you know, we we just had two kids that were, by the way, unplanned. Your surprise blessings, aka the freeloaders, right? Uh, if you look around, we're still in Section A housing. Yeah. So like, we're not out of where we're at right now. She's working fifty to sixty hours a week, just trying to keep a roof over our heads in general. She's like, and now you want to go do one hundred percent commission. So she was just, she was trying to be practical, right? Just like any good partner would be like, they're, they're being practical. Like, does right. this really make sense at this moment? But there was just, there was something in me, man, that <sighs> I think it's, it's so difficult sometimes because people will, they'll believe their doubts, but doubt their beliefs. Mm. And it's like, you, you can't almost let other people's validation. And I'm not saying don't get you know, your verification from your spouse or from other people. But like when you have a vision and you know you can do something, that's only within you. Nobody else can see that. So like there was just, there was something enough in me that was powerful enough for her to see, to say, I think I can do this. Like I understand, I get it. This really doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I think I can do this. Like I really want to try to do this. Just that internal validation of you know who you are, before you're that person almost. I think you know people, who you can be. You know what's inside you. And I think people they damage that if they ask too many wrong people. I think you have to be really cautious because you generally at that moment that's such a fork in the road for people that you don't want to go and start talking to people about that opportunity or that circumstance. You don't want to talk to people that you wouldn't switch bank accounts with. Mm. So that's where you just have to be really cautious, like who you're starting to spew your goals with or a decision that you're about to make. Because there's just so many people that they're like, I'm getting constructive criticism from people that have never constructed anything. And it's you're getting advice from people that just they haven't done anything in life yet respectfully. So you just you got to be really cautious. I just knew for me, I'm like, I don't have I don't have any credibility, but I have something that's just telling me that I can do this. I have belief of myself. And that's really what you need in the start. Like. Yeah. It, that was something that I knew. I'm like, I, I think I can do this. And at that point, we just agreed. And she was like, all right. She's like, if you feel like you can do this, then like, just do it. Just commit to it and get it done. Don't you think that's got to be sometimes why people give, I don't want to say give bad advice or like what you're talking about, the detractors are like, hey, you can't do this is because they've never done anything like this. And it's, yeah. and it's, it's scary. And it's got to be scary to you too at this moment where, you know, you're, you're in Section 8 housing, you have two children one and and younger you know you're living paycheck to paycheck food stamps the whole nine yards and now you've got a steady source of income although it's not what you want it's there every week right you can budget off of it you can take care of your kids benefits i'm sure right you know health insurance and all that and you're like let me just jettison all that and i'm gonna just bet on me that's that's such a scary jump into the darkness to begin with let alone your own circumstances, and then getting advice from other people who see how scary that is and say, I would never do it. And so, you know, it's got to all be kind of tied in together. It is, man. Here, Here's the hard reality of this is families probably kill more dreams than anybody else. Mm. And it's not to say that families are bad. It's because they're the closest to you. Yeah. So generally you, you talk to them first and it's just families have like, they ha- they're, the, they're the loudest critics with the quietest success stories. And you just have to really watch that. So it's, again, it's not to talk to parents, it's not to talk to spouse, especially if you have a spouse, you have to be in unison with decisions. 
but you still have to make sure you understand like when you have a vision, when you see something, if you feel like you can do it, you have to just say, okay, I can do it. And that's period. That's it. Put you on your blinders. Just go. Yeah. Just go. Like get the distractions out and just say, if you think you can do it, then do it. Like commit to it and just go. I think there's just so much power in that. It's just, it's difficult, man, when you rely on too many people that just don't have the right track record where people are getting advice from it. Did you have to shut people out when you're making this decision? Oh, because man. you and Tess seemed to like, you got on the same page where you both said, all right, let's go. But what's the rest of the circle thinking about yeah, it, what it you're was, doing? It was rough. Tess was on board because she was like, okay, well, he, like we started budgeting things out, yeah. right? She's like, I don't even know how we're going to make this work. She's like, but I'm just, I'll work and I'll support you. And she's probably seen people succeed too, having worked oh, yeah. in the agency oh, yeah. in her role. She she is. She was seeing the success. I think she was just more concerned about my work ethic. Yeah. Like I said, which granted, you, she, she had every right. Yeah. yeah. Can you connect the dots? I'll, I'll blame her. Um, but no, I, I think that the other side certain family members, it was really tough, man. There was just, granted, again, I didn't give them any reason to not doubt me because you got to look at when I quit nursing school, man, it's like, you know, parents just paid for some things for me to try to succeed and go into a direction. And then I just threw it down the drain. And, and regressed. Everything else, yeah. And, and it, you went it, back to your old. It got worse. Yeah. It got worse. So it's not that I didn't have all the support in the world. I just had to know what I was capable of and what I see. And I think that's just what I stuck with, man. I stuck with what I thought that I knew what I was capable of. I knew that I was greater than where I was currently at in my current circumstance. And I just, I still go back and retract like when I was standing in line for the food stamps. I just, I remember those moments where I, I was feeling like that for a reason. And that's where that moment sometimes would come back full circle where I'm like, this is my moment. This is why I felt that way because I don't, I don't belong here. I know my family doesn't belong here, but it's up to me to get us out. And that's just what I stuck with, man. So just like you said, the blinders, I just put them on and I went to work. Yeah. That was it. And so here you are, you take this jump into the abyss, right? Where is it going to take you? <laughs> and pretty much how many weeks after that did you buy your Lamborghini? It's got to be like oh, very, very man. close, right? Immediate yeah. success story? It, or? Was, it was a short 10 years. <laughs> um, so, so... Some struggle yeah. when you first came over Major and first struggle. started working 100% commission. What was that like? It was really tough because I wasn't very good. Um, I was not a good first-year agent. I think I closed maybe 20 accounts my first year, um, which is not a fantastic number, especially now if you look where the company yeah, is what, what would you, just to frame it for somebody listening here, what would you expect a, a decent new agent to do in a, in a year for closing accounts? I mean, I think 40, 50 accounts in yeah. the first year. Is Almost a, is one a, a week, yeah, you know, one every super, one and a half weeks. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you could do one a week, I mean, you generally, you're going to be doing really, really well for yourself. Yeah. And I wasn't that great. And it definitely took me some time uh, to figure it out. I <sighs> Can you think of any like specific challenges? What Were, were there obstacles specific in the, in the beginning? Yeah, the bringing out of the systems. I remember that we were some of the OGs for Epic yeah, and yeah. the scripts. Yeah. And I had started to slowly find traction. When I mean slowly, like it was not any success to brag about, but they started bringing out systems and scripts and all these things. You don't want any of that. And I'm like, man, listen, guys, like I'm just now figuring this out. I'm like, don't, <laughs> don't come and start throwing some stuff on my plate. Um, I remember those were big, big challenges to me. Um, my first six accounts that I closed specifically did not enroll. Wow. 
So I remember Tim just started doing those Monday meetings where we would celebrate, go around the room and, and high five and we were excited. So like on paper, I looked really good. I was like, oh man, like he's starting to figure it out. Uh, but you're not making any money. I was still broke. Yeah. Still broke. Yeah. And that was so difficult because it was deflating because like when you finally start getting traction and everybody's timeline is a little bit different. You know, I think it took me probably four months to close my first case. And after you get the first one, you start to figure it out a little bit more and more and more. But the first six, when they don't enroll, I, like it's hard to not get thoughts of like, I just suck. Like yeah. this isn't for me. I like, can't maybe, do this. Yeah. I'm like, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have done. Maybe I was overthinking. Maybe I was, you know, trying to get too headstrong on myself thinking that I can do this. I how mean, many, it's impossible to not get those thoughts. How many times did you quit mentally during this period? The first year was a lot. Yeah. I quit a lot. I, I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I quit. And thank God, since my wife and I, we had the agreement, she was not going to allow that. Um, I remember there was a moment, it was probably 9.30 in the morning, and she like came up and like nudged the bed. And she's You're like, still Hello. asleep. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> sleeping on record here. This isn't a Sunday she, morning, right? This like is Tuesday. Wednesday, or, Tuesday. <laughs> she nudges the bed and she's like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I live here. Like, what's going on? And she's like, you need to get up and go to work. And I remember specifically it was because I had a really bad day the day previous. Like it was just, it was just a fail of a day. At least that was the perspective that I had looked at. I wasn't looking at the smaller things like I, like I do now. Um, and she helped me and hold me accountable. Like she was the one that helped me be like, you need to go out there and you need to work and don't, don't be home before five. Like you said, you could do this. You said that you could go out and you were going to get this done and you were going to get out of, get us out of the circumstance. So she was a big accountability. Like I was scared yeah. to come home, dude. You like, ever I park was, just down the street at four thirty? <laughs> yeah, you know, and just, wait before just you wait can pull me on in. My phone. <laughs> I, you know what though? She was, she was right. And similar to the moment when I was in the cop car and my dad looked at me the way that she did or he did. I was looking at my wife. I'm like, she's working 50 to 60 hours a week for me to do this. And, and it was you're just, laying in bed at 930 in the morning. And I'm laying in bed, man. Yeah. And she's over here waking me up. And you get those. It, it's a lot of insecurity. I had a ton of insecurity for starting, man. Because I was like, dude, I'm like, this chick, she's just going to she's gonna leave me, man. Like, I, There's no way that she's going to stick around to this. But it's just there's little moments like that that just I tried to hold on to. So when I wanted to go home or you have a bad walk-in with a business owner, like you just have to remember those things and you have to hold on to them. That's why yeah. like your your goals and your things that you use to gain momentum have to be way stronger than your excuses. That's why like if you have a goal and like you lose momentum from it after a week, it, it's not a real goal. Like it's not, it's not powerful enough. Yeah. That's why a lot of people, they latch on the family, but specifically it was to get my family out of that. So I just had to remember those things, man, when I was having bad days, but she helped me just keep progressing forward and just keep moving consistently. And then eventually things start to pick up a little bit, right? Through, through time. Was there, was there any, is there any key defining moments that was like, okay, I got this where you, you kind of light bulb goes off or was it just a gradual keep grinding away and then eventually the sum of small activities brought into one large thing or what, what was that like as you transitioned into more success? The thing that has never left my head for some reason was the case that um, oddly finally enrolled. Okay. I made $600 in a week and that was, I mean, it was more than I was making every two weeks. Yeah. And I did the whole thing myself. So I think it was like that was that indicator 
that I was like, okay, I can do this. Here, here's a, I got a little traction, right? I got a yeah. little money. All that went to bills, but that's okay. Yeah. Made some money. I do remember that moment specifically because it it helped me propel to say, okay, man, that maybe that was just like those six cases. I just I didn't do it right, right? Or maybe I wasn't saying the right things, or maybe I was in a rush. So I didn't look at those as just complete fails. I looked at those as learning lessons instead. So like that momentum helped turn some perspective for me, and it gave me some traction to really start hitting it super, super hard. And then about I think it was, um, I can't remember, maybe eight or nine months in, uh, after being a little bit more consistent, Tim started talking to me about leadership. And I was like, dude. What did you think? Like, you as a leader. I was like, get away from me is what I told him. (laughs) I said, get away from me, dude. Uh, I was like, reluctant to it. I said, I don't. I don't want to be in leadership. I said, dude, I still have to figure this out. It was kind of in that same parenting moment um, in my head where I was like, dude, I'm still trying to take care of me. You know, like I, I got to take care of other people. And I, I didn't quite have the right perspective. The real reality of that moment of why I don't want to be put in leadership is because I would be exposed. Yeah. And I think that's it, it, maybe not for everybody, but leadership is accountability. Exposed as in who you really are. Who you really are. Yeah. When you get a team of people behind you that now rely on you, I mean, it's the same thing as like a parent. When you become a parent, like you you got a parent, like you become exposed. You can't just be the single or just reckless you. Like leadership to me is accountability. And I think that's what I was truly scared of. It wasn't that I was scared to take care of the people. It was, it was scared because I was like, I would have to go to work even more. And I think I was nervous about the level of commitment that I'd have to put down. And the reality of it is that like, that's, I needed that. That's why I think everybody needs leadership to an extent because it's accountability. Forced you. And it takes you to the next level in the best way, like for you, like if you know it's going to be good for you. But I was obviously, I was, I was scared. So I probably took me a couple months to finally shake Tim's hand and say, all right, I'll do this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make this happen. Still nervous as can be, but I knew it was a level of accountability that I needed for myself. Did, did you have self-doubt in your ability to be a leader or was it the doubt in your willingness to do the work that you knew that it was going to take? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. It's a little bit of both because I still wasn't fantastic. So that's – I was nervous that I wasn't going to be able to show somebody the right way um, or maybe the way that I was doing it at that time wasn't going to be good for them because, once again, scripts were still being rolled out and mm-hmm. I was still trying to do it my way. And that affected me in a really hard way, becoming a leader too in the beginning. I mean, I failed. You got a counterculture going. I failed miserably doing it like that. Um, So it's the work ethic was definitely part of it, but the skill too. It was it was definitely a mixture of both, and I was super super nervous about it. So you overcome that how? Well, um, after losing a team three times over from trying to say, "Hey, just do what I do." Mm-hmm. and just try to do it like me as best you can and just take notes. Um, don't worry about doing packs. What's crazy is the biggest transition as a supervising agent was the one-on-one. And I'll never forget it. That was the one where I forgot my suit, but I learned a lot. Yeah, I realized that you like they were talking about the pack calls and the systems and I got to see like a really heavy dose of culture obviously because that's the whole point of one on one too. Right. And I went back just fired up. And, and so that, new people that that the one on one that's here in McKinney, that's the leadership academy. We bring in all the new promoted supervising agents and it's three days of you know, systems, culture, mm-hmm. motivation, guest speakers from from around the country. And then you're interacting with your peers, newly promoted supervising agents as well. 
Yeah. yeah, that was it. Was changing for me, obviously, because now it's 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 Globe University. Yeah, Globe Life. Yeah, GLU Globe Life University. Yeah. That was a big, big piece. I remember specifically going back and being fired up, man. Like I was like, okay, like now, now I think I understand things on a better scope. And you know, the office at that time too, it was still like still veterans. Like people had been there for you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. So they were still doing it the way that it was being done. Yeah. So we were still in that transition period with Globe. So pack calls were not a thing, you know, qualifying leads, systems, like none of that stuff was really a thing. And I'll never forget it because it was me and three other people. I sat them down and I said, guys, we're going to come in here on Mondays and we're going to start pack calling. Like we're going to start doing things on a systematic way. And we were the first three uh, to start doing pack calls within that office. And I'll never forget it because I think we had four cubics total. Wow. So I'm like, if we have one more person, we are we're capped. You That's know? Like a, we as big as it can ever get. We don't get. have any more room to grow. <laughs> and uh, that that was probably the biggest change because we, now we didn't have, we didn't have, uh, there wasn't maps on Epic. Okay. So we were still doing the map quest thing. Yeah. We were taking cities and cutting them in quadrants yeah. and still doing it similar to now. Obviously we have Epic, but right. we were still creating routes for people and staying close within the city where we could go to different quadrants and start working specifically with our people. And now we had systems. And at that time too, the paper that we would record it down as was the, uh, it was like the worksite field training tracker where you would fill mm-hmm. in the bubbles, mm-hmm. the 25, 50, yeah. 75, yeah. 100. So that was where there was just a lot more structure and systems incorporated into the team, which is that's what made the biggest difference. Do you think the systems contributed to you, uh, I guess, matching the work ethic needed or holding you accountable maybe to getting you to become successful who you are? I think it helped my work count more because the things that I was doing was structured. Yeah. I think if people try to just run around aimlessly, you're not you're not really sure how you're doing because there's just there's no system behind it. So it's like the work that I was putting in, to me it was counting more. I was almost multiplying my time because we were doing it the right way. We weren't just going out to qualify leads. We already had the leads qualified. So a lot of times we'd walk into business and we would get all the information, right? You would just cold walk into the business. Yeah. It was like we cut that step out by doing a pack call. So like you're saving a ton of time. So now it's like your conversion rate was the chances were a lot higher. Because, well, you know who the decision maker is now. Yeah. So it's like just all that stuff, you don't think about it, but all those little layers that you started adding to the system, you know, and creating a structure, it started propelling us like forward a lot faster than it would be if we just continued to keep doing it the right. old way. Right. So it, you know, it's an amazing journey because now, you know, kind of culmination here, systems and processes and then weeks, months, years of doing this over and over and over again, right, has led you to where you are now. Yeah, man. It's a compound effect. Yeah. It, it's consistently compounding over time. Um, you're never going to learn everything. Um, there, I still learn daily. You're never going to figure it out. And I think if you just look at leadership books alone, how many leadership books there are, you're never going to you're never going to learn it. But it was just it was compounding over time and to finally start figuring it out. And there's still things, man, that we have just we've got to fix. Yeah. But obviously we've we've got a decent traction on on what we're doing now. How much has everything that you've gone through in your life, you know, just, I mean, it's the tale of two lives, really, like where you were prior to coming here and then where you are today in that just total transformation in in your family and in your lifestyle and what you're able to do. How much of that is your motivation and your leadership now and how you pour into people mm. and work with other people? Heavy, man. Heavy. You know, I was, I was thinking about because we just had our convention, mm-hmm. and 
the first convention that we got to go to was in Boca Raton. Okay. And when we checked in, my credit card could not even cover the hold for the room. Wow. And I'll never forget that because I went outside to cry, number one, because it was just another one of those moments where I was like, I finally made it to convention because I missed New Orleans a year before because yeah. I wasn't fantastic. And I finally made it. And my credit I'm actually card, knowing who you are. I'm glad that you didn't go to New Orleans. Like, I'm going to keep you focused, <laughs> right? was for the best it, that it, I didn't I, go. I didn't keep you longer so you didn't get to go to New Orleans. It worked <laughs> out for the best. I, uh, I remember that moment specifically because now it's like we invite our team that comes to convention to our room and we go to dinner, man. We yeah. get everybody dinner and it's, it's just such a crazy, it's a crazy change in, in, just like a whole different life, man. Like it's absolutely yeah. insane. Um, I'm so motivated to tell people like what they can do with this company from where I've came from. I still have like this broke boy mentality and I'm still trying to break myself up too because it's hard. Because like even when I started to develop success, I didn't feel like I was successful. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough to like not give yourself credit. And I use it to keep me going at times too as well. But you also don't want to use it to cap yourself. Like because if you started off really broke, like, or if you start off in, in some hardships, there's like this, this atmospheric pressure that to get through success, you almost feel like you don't belong there once you get it. Yeah. And it's, it's dangerous, man. I'm telling you, it's such a dangerous place because you'll start to reach it and you're like, did I get here by luck? Was this an accident? Is it going to go away? Was it, yeah. Is it, that's exactly right. Is it going to go away? So like, you have to be really careful to not let yourself say in that broken mindset. Cause you know, that that brokenness is it's not always money it's it's mindset and that was something to me that i really have had to break myself from and teach my guys and gals too the same thing like you belong here like you belong at the table with the steak dinner you belong here at this convention you belong on the rooftop like this is where you are supposed to be like and it's just gonna you're take not an consistency. imposter yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not an imposter it's true because it's it's cool man to see some of my first essays or my agents we take them to like a steak dinner you could tell it's like the first time they yeah. feel they feel odd they yeah. feel very out of place. And I, I get so much joy from that, you know? And I don't know why too, but like they look at the menu and they get really nervous about the price. And it's like, listen, you you deserve to eat at this table. Like this is what right. life is supposed to look like for you. And there's just, to me, man, I, I strive for moments like that because like I remember being in that same spot, being like, dude, I don't, I don't know if I should be in this room. Like it's just really awkward, you know? It feels really, really weird, but it's yeah. just helping people break through that spot and also helping them do it based on their skill set too. Yeah. So, I mean, would you say that's probably your main motivator, your main driver right now is what keeps you going at the level of success that you've achieved is giving that back? Helping people break their generational curse, tell them, tell, help them replant their family tree in more nutritious soil where they can change their whole lives. Man. Yeah. I, that's great. Christmas time is my favorite time of year here because yeah. I get to see people have a completely different season than they had the season before. I get so much joy from that, man. I absolutely love it. That's great. Love that's it. That's great. So I, um, you talk about what your life is like now compared. We talked a lot about what it was before. I'll just ask you this one question. I asked your son this question last week in Florida at oh, dinner, no. right? You know, oh, no. uh, so Lambo or McLaren, which one's the the favorite? Mm. You've had both. Or you got the McLaren now. I have the McLaren now. I had the, the Lamborghini Huracan last year. Um, I can't even pick one, man. The hard part, Lamborghinis, it's a its a straight up race car. Yeah. It's not very comfortable, super loud, super fast. Neighbors absolutely despise it, <laughs> which makes me love it a little bit more. 
Um, the McLaren is just, man, it's a little more sleek. It's a lot more comfortable, uh, but it's actually faster than a Lamborghini too, yeah. which is not what I needed, but it is, they're works of art to me, man. I, those to me, I'm still the eight year old with the poster on the wall. Yeah. And I did that. The, one of the biggest accomplishments that I wanted to cross off my list was take my son to school in that. And it was cool because, you know, you can teach your kids lessons through things like this. And it finally hit him one day and it even hit me that it hit him. But he got in my car. I picked him up. You know, he opened the door. They're LaFerrari doors, man, yeah. the scissor doors. And he said, he said, Dad, he said, there's, there's not a lot of dads that have these cars here. And I said, no, buddy, there's not. And it was just a really cool moment for him to sit down and, and talk about, like, what hard work can get you. What, what consistency. It took, what it took. Yeah. And just it, it's they just, I want to make sure they understand that because they obviously, they don't even know the life that they're living right now. Yeah. Um, you know, my son rides in a G wagon every day to school and he's like, dad, I don't know why people take pictures of me inside this car. And I'm like, you dude, you don't even get it. Like he just doesn't understand. So yeah. for him to start to see pivotal moments like that, it's just a really big bucket list for me to be able to explain that to him. But I want him to understand the hard work that that comes with. There's a responsibility that comes with turn it into that teaching moment absolutely for sure man. yeah absolutely well matt thank you so much for sharing your story absolutely, um, man. it's it's a tremendous journey so one of the traditions that we have on the on the level up podcast uh more for our uh viewers than the listeners but it's it's fun to to hear your reaction to is uh we give all of the attendees a bobblehead as a way to say thank you for uh, for oh, being here, shoot. and you know, as the as the years go by, <laughs> yeah, and the seasons accumulate, you know, we'll have all the bobbleheads of the people that have been on the show. So pretty cool. So I've got your bobblehead right here. Oh man, um, this is oh, one of my favorite ones that we've done here. Um, <laughs> oh, this is the, the Matt Keller bobblehead. <laughs> Look at this thing, dude. I, I think you actually wore that tuxedo on stage say, this year. That's didn't, my didn't that's right? my suit from convention. Yeah, man. right. They did a great job on that. Yeah, same custom tailor. Wow. We had to go get you know get that to um, put on here. So <laughs> got less wrinkles on that than, than in real life. Dude. Yeah, that's so, incredible. So oh it, so I, I'll I'll just ask you if you can go back in time and you're talking to your bobblehead self here. What, <laughs> what one piece of advice would you give yourself just getting started here? Oh, dude, that's tough. I think just consistency is the most important thing you can think about. I'm a, I'm a mind, body, spirit guy, man. Um, I believe in checking all the boxes and keeping my momentum. Mind, continually keep reading, listen to podcasts. Yeah. We have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day that run through our head. 70 to 80% are negative. Yeah. That's proven. So if you're not sharpening your mindset, your brain on default is negative. Uh, physical, which is body. I think it's important to stay disciplined, to do yeah. some sort of physical activity. I want to shake somebody's hand to where they say, this guy's disciplined. And they get that from the physical shape. I think it's really important. It helps recalibrate your brain. I'm super about it. And then spirit, man, is whatever you believe in. You know, you have to have something that you believe in, whether that's, you know, uh, giving back to a charity consistently, whether that's your faith in something, you know, your faith in God or praying, whatever it may be. I think that people have to keep that intact. So to me, man, like that's my triangle that I try to make sure I keep intact. So when one goes down, cause you're going to have one that's going to go down, yeah. you're going to have a bad day at work. You know, did you do your physical? Did you do your spiritual or one spiritual goes down? Did you do your body? Uh, and did you, uh, did you keep your momentum and the other factors? List so, the other one up. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I just try to keep those three buckets going. So that way it keeps me being consistent. It's great. Well, Matt, thank you so much. It's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you about your journey. Appreciate you guys inviting me in here, man. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope this episode has inspired you on your path to success. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next story. See you soon on the Level Up Lifestyle Podcast.